Well, thanks to our worship team for leading us in song so far this morning, and we'll be back to sing a few more songs after the message. I know we have a number of uh, students here from the University of Calgary, so welcome to all of you. Uh, I was thinking this week uh, about my university days. In university, sometimes a professor asks you to write a paper, and it's always hard to meet the word count or the, or the page count to come up with enough to say. But this week, as I prepared this message, I had the opposite problem. Uh, it, was, it was easy to write. There was so much to say. And then I had to pick uh, the right words and get rid of the wrong words so that we didn't have uh, too much uh, and, and were able to focus on what is most important. So I hope and pray that uh, God's, and trust that God's been with me in my preparation. This weekend, uh, as we've said several times, Canada marks our National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. And when we use those words, usually the first thing that comes to mind is the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that finished its work in 2015, or maybe uh, if you are a Winnipeg person, the uh, Center for Truth and Reconciliation in Manitoba. Uh, That report all the way back in 2015 included 94 calls to action. And I heard on the radio this week that I think we've completed 13. So that's something, but a lot more or a lot less than uh, a lot less than where we have to go. I also uh, can't help but note uh, with maybe interest or irony that uh, it was a similar time 500 years ago that uh, Martin Luther, a Christian minister, nailed 95 calls to action, 95 theses on a door of his local church in Germany. And I don't want to walk away too quickly from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, but I simply want to note that there's not just one or two things wrong with our world. There's not just one or two things wrong in the church. In fact, it would still be horrific and awful, but it would be orders of magnitude better if we could look around in our world and then point at the mistreatment of indigenous people and say, well, that was the only time we ever got it wrong. The truth is far sadder. In many places around our world, between many groups of people and at many different times in history, people of one group have mistreated another with devastating consequences for cultures, for nations, and for people, for individuals. We must, as Christians, pursue truth and reconciliation between indigenous people and uh, later settlers, but also between people from many groups. Pursuing truth and reconciliation is needed also in many of our personal relationships. And in every case, seeking truth and reconciliation is ongoing work. As Christians, we might be uh, tempted to hold up a Bible and say, well, this is God's truth. We don't need to seek truth. It's all right here. And of course, we do believe that the Bible is God's word and God's truth. But every time we hold up God's word as individuals or as a community, you, we, you are a different person. You're different even uh, from day to day on a cellular level. We're different on an experimental level. We're different on relational levels. We're different in how much wisdom we have. A couple years ago, I sat in the living room of an old Navajo saint in Colorado, 
And she had this picture of a Navajo hunter on her wall and uh, words uh, or a comment that said, no man walks through the same river twice because it's not the same river and he is not the same man. In other words, God's truth may not change, but we always approach it in new and different situations and as new and developing people. This is why God calls us to wisdom. Let's remind ourselves of where we began this sermon series on wisdom, now almost a month ago. Uh, In September, I said, wisdom is doing what is right and best in the right way and at the right time. And Proverbs 1 verse 7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God is perfectly wise. God does what is right and best and in the right way and at the right time. God is unlimited, but we people are limited. God sees and knows everything. We all have our personal perceptions and cultural ways of being. That's why we need not just to worship God as individuals, but to come together with a group of people as diverse as possible so that each of us with our different limitations can hold one another up in our weaknesses and cover one another with our strengths. Each of us has a strength or an insight that another brother or sister is missing. The good news of Jesus Christ is unlimited good for every person in the world. But we always see it in limited ways because we are limited. But as we come together as a diverse community this morning, uh, all of that is an introduction to open our ears and open our hearts to hear God's word. And so I'm going to read for us from Proverbs uh, as we continue in this series on wisdom. We'll read verses 1 through 21. And the words will be on the screen behind me. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where all the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gate leading into the city at the entrance, she cries aloud. This is what she says. To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. Listen, for I have a trustworthy thing to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth, wisdom, are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver. Choose knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. But counsel and sound judgment, those are mine. I have insight. I have power. By me, kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, princes govern and nobles, all who rule the earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me, find me. With me are riches and wealth and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. 
I walk in the ways of righteousness, along the path of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasuries full. What a promise. So far, the reading of God's word. If you hear only one thing in all of what I just read, those 21 verses, I want you to hear that wisdom calls out because Wisdom has to compete. People in our world prefer many other things to wisdom. And so wisdom, uh, already in Proverbs, calls out because there are many other things in our world that draw our attention, that draw our hearts, that we might choose instead of wisdom. To use the pictures that Solomon uses in Proverbs, people prefer wealth. Silver, gold, rubies, instead of wisdom. Some people prefer power, but wisdom says, I have insight. I have power. And most of all, people prefer our own way. Wisdom responds saying, I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. As people, we always prefer to put ourselves at the center, to do things our own way, to decide for us what we want to do and when is the right time and what is the right way. We're always putting ourselves in the center rather than allowing God and his wisdom to lead us. So as we continue, I want to talk about a short history of uh, truth and reconciliation and also the ways in which we often shortcut it. And I say that knowing I'm not going to do justice to this history and also wanting to be careful. I listened to a podcast this week, as you do, and uh, it was a podcast by black Canadians. And one of the things they said was, our stories shouldn't be, or how did they say it? They said, stories about us shouldn't be told without us. And so we want to be careful not to tell other people's stories for them. But wisdom that comes from God is the only way that we can hope for truth and reconciliation that lasts. Again, thinking of first in, of the indigenous peoples of Canada and about the church, uh, I attended Synod in 2016, which is the broader or larger assembly of our denomination. And that year was one year after the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in Canada. And that year, our denomination decided officially, the word they used was to repudiate, which means to say it was bad, uh, repudiated the doctrine of discovery, labeled it a heresy and lamented the pain that it caused. The doctrine of discovery, according to the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, is a legal and religious concept that has been used for centuries to justify Christian colonial conquest. It advanced the idea that European peoples, culture, and religion were superior to all others. Now, even though this doctrine was originally created by a Catholic pope in the 1400s, it was used in the 1800s and in the 1900s by Europeans and European Christians to justify removing indigenous peoples from their land and even forcing many young indigenous children to attend residential schools, where, among other things, their culture was taken away from them, and they were allowed access only to European people, European culture, and European expressions of religion. 
Now, I want to remind us that back in 2016, our denomination said that this doctrine was a heresy. We lamented the pain that it caused. And no doubt, we would all think that this is good news. That was the right thing to do. But I was at that synod, and something strange happened as this was being discussed. During the deliberations, Zuni and Navajo peoples, uh, two of the peoples, two of the nations that are quite large in the southwest of the United States, there was some Zuni and Navajo people there, and they were uncomfortable with the process. They were uncomfortable with the decisions. They wanted to celebrate and thank the church for sending missionaries to their people and offering them the gospel. On the other hand, they wanted to slow down the process, take more time, because it came to light that many of them had not been talked to and not been consulted throughout this process of apology. On the other hand, there were also a number of Dutch people there whose family members had originally gone to Rehoboth, New Mexico, or, or spent time on uh, reservations in the United States. And many of them felt offended and hurt because the mission work and the, the loving care, the best intentions of their grandparents or family members felt to them like they were put down or demeaned. And so those people wanted to do nothing. What is going on here? I want to just pause for a moment and wonder with you. How can something that uh, seems so good, the, the, the first step toward reconciliation, how could it fall so flat? Well, whenever there is harm and injustice between people, someone always initiates it. Maybe they realize in the moment, maybe they don't. But... Someone always starts it, and harm always results in brokenness or distance between relationships. And whenever there's relationships and separation in relationships, we all lose. That's one of the reasons why, as a church, we've decided we want to follow God's vision to become a mosaic community. Because God's picture of the church in heaven is a church where people from every tribe and nation and language and group are gathered together and worshiping the Lamb, each as they are in their own way. We miss out, all of us, when there is relational brokenness and distance. But one of the problems with injustice in our world is that injustice always cuts unequally. Injustice always cuts unequally. You cannot find injustice in our world where everyone is affected the same way. In all cases of injustice, someone comes away stronger and someone else comes away weaker. In many cases, someone's life is destroyed or a group of people's lives are destroyed or culture is, is taken from them. And while other people remain relatively unaffected, or maybe they even benefit you could put it another way and say that there's always a big difference between the stories of what happened. If you tell the story from the perspective of the weaker party or the weaker person, or if you tell the story from the perspective of the stronger party or the stronger person. 
Reconciliation is difficult because we remember and experience the injustice in our world differently. Often it seems if we are the stronger party, then we're the first to initiate reconciliation. But our first efforts at reconciliation almost always deny or ignore or underestimate the great repercussions of past injustice or past hurt. Even when we apologize, especially when we're quick to apologize, we want sometimes to make excuses. Maybe you've heard some of these in your own personal life. Maybe you've heard somebody say to you, well, I'm sorry, but uh, it was inevitable. I'm sorry, but it made sense to me at the time. I'm sorry, but it was my job. I'm sorry, but it was a long time ago. I'm sorry, but it can't hurt that much. It was for that long, can it? Or one I heard recently, I'm sorry if what I did hurt you. There's always many excuses. At the same time, from the perspective of the weaker party, our lives are still affected. Our pain is still very present with us. Everywhere we look, we see the effects of the thing that we have lost or the place or the person that is missing in our hearts, in our lives, in our community. Remember what I said about the call of wisdom. People prefer to put ourselves at the center and decide things in our own way and at our own time rather than letting God in his wisdom lead us. This is the reason why the party who's stronger after some injustice can't simply just initiate, uh, initiate reconciliation whenever we're ready. Consider it on the personal level. If we only act when, if I only act when I'm ready, I haven't taken time to care for the other person and I haven't necessarily taken time to listen to God. I'm still at the center. I'm still in charge. The stronger party is almost always at the center of society, of some power dynamic, or even a personal relationship. The stronger party has to move out of the center in order to be able to invite the weaker party into the center. Now, this might all just sound like my opinion, or maybe, hopefully, good advice at least. But let's wonder, I'm going to argue that it isn't just my opinion. But I want to wonder for a moment, what happens if we do that? What happens if, for example, I or we see that are we, I really am, we really are the stronger party in some situation or relationship. And I quickly apologize and want to invite someone else back into the center with me. Is everything okay now? Are we, are we good? Are we reconciled? I said I was sorry. Of course not. By no means. And again, I don't think that this is just my opinion or my perspective. I want us, again, to look to God and to look to his wisdom and his way. River Park is part of a a larger and longer history of Reformed theology. And Reformed Christians highlight that God did not just invite people back into relationship. 
God, of course, did not sin against or people or harm people. But when there was brokenness and when there was distance, God, who was the stronger people, stronger party, didn't just say, oh, come on back whenever you're ready. God gave up his stronger position to make room for humanity. Eugene Peterson uh, wrote a book called The Message, which is a kind of uh, take on the Bible, and he put it this way. He said, Christ became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. God and Jesus Christ always puts priority on other people. Even though God did not sin, even though God was sinned against, Christ made room at the center of God's love for others, for the weaker party. If you read the New Testament, pick any of the four Gospels and see how Jesus lived his life. He was always spending time with the weakest. He was always spending time with the outcasts, with the people that everyone else called the sinners. He did it because he loved them. And he did it to show us a better way. To show a better way to those of us who in our own eyes and in the eyes of the world are strong. And to show a better way to those of us who in our own eyes or in the eyes of the world are weak. To offer us all a better way of being together. Of being reconciled with one another and reconciled to God. If we want God's wisdom, if we want to follow in God's way, then the Apostle Paul makes clear in Romans chapter 8, he says, brothers and sisters, this is a passage, by the way, that is famous among uh, Western churches today. Romans 8 is famous for celebrating the freedom that Christians have. But right in the middle of Romans 8, Paul says, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. We have a responsibility. Our obligation is not to the flesh. In other words, the the flesh is what Paul always talks about, that old way of being. Doing what I want, when I want, how I want to do it. We We don't have an obligation to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. We have an obligation to the Spirit, Paul says, to follow the way of God, God's way, God's time. We can celebrate as Christians, people who have received, been recipients of God's reconciling work, that we are forgiven, we have been forgiven, and we will be forgiven we're not free. Not free in the sense that uh, we can do whatever we want, whenever we want. To use the Apostle Paul's language again, many times in the New Testament, Paul says in some way, shape, or form, we are slaves to Christ. We are servants of Christ. To put it another way, Paul might say that I was the center before. I did things my way at my time. But now, the weaker person is the center. Because God in Christ has put the weaker person in the center so that they too might be reconciled to God and that we all might be reconciled with one another. If we want to seek reconciliation, 
We join God in making room in the center of ourselves, the center of our lives, for other people, especially for the weaker party. Our human temptation is always, of course, just to talk, though, right? I'm going to talk for 25 minutes or something this morning, and uh, the temptation for me will be able to be to say, well, that's a good day's work. I've said it all. Now it's done. We like to talk, some of us. Maybe even talk about good things. Some of us love to talk about the truth. But it's a problem to only talk about the truth. Seeking reconciliation definitely requires the truth, but it begins with empathy. Empathy isn't just about understanding what's true or what happened. The dictionary says empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another, which even that definition of empathy feels a little bit cold. So uh, another take is Brene Brown, who says empathy is connecting with people so we know that we're not alone when we struggle. Empathy is connecting with people so we know we're not alone when we struggle. There are some situations in our lives where we are the weaker or the stronger party or the stronger person, but there are other relationships in our lives where we, we know and experience that we are the weaker party, group, or person. The weaker party can only know that we're not alone when the stronger party, and in human terms, the offending party, fully admits their part or their sin and stands alongside of us as a weaker party until, as a weaker party, we're ready to accept them and stand together with them. Responding to the tears and suffering of others with empathy is the path that leads us to stand together in the same place with those of us who have wronged, those of us we have wronged, and those who have wronged us. Empathy requires us to be humble, to wait. A lot of the times we have to wait a lot longer than we'd like to, and to walk alongside those whom we have offended or harmed until the other person is, or group is ready to accept us and reciprocate. As I said earlier, in many cases, the stronger party is the one who initiates, but the stronger party needs to stand with the weaker until the weaker person or party feels their hurt is heard and understood. The parts that can't be understood, of course, can still be empathized with. But again, the stronger party initiates. But reconciliation always happens at the pace of the weaker party. Only when the weaker one is ready, then true restoration can begin. Then true reconciliation can really get going. Again, this is how God is with his people. God initiates reconciliation with his people, and yet he does not force himself on us. He waits until we are ready, and unless we are ready, to walk along with him. And he gives us this model to follow. And yet it's so hard for us to do. 
As I said before, we're, our church is a part of a theological tradition called the Reformed theology or the Reformed tradition. And one of the hallmarks of the Reformed tradition is this long and historic and deep understanding of sin and brokenness in our world. Sin has been talked about in our tradition as total depravity or fallen humanity. Our understanding of sin says that while people are good and created in God's image, since the fall, sin has touched and affected everything in our world. Sin has touched and affected every part of us. It affects our minds and our bodies. Sin affects our decision-making and our relationships. Sin affects our lives. Sin affects our world. Sin affects animals and plants and everything. People who are a part of this tradition, it should be easiest for us to admit more than anyone else our shortcomings and our sin. Because we do not only believe in total depravity. We also believe that in Christ, God is working to redeem and restore to himself all things, including all people. Everything in this world, everything that God created, God desires to make new. But God isn't slow in keeping his promises, not as some people understand slowness. Instead, he's patient. He's patient with us. God doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to him in repentance. That's not my words. Those are Peter's words in his second letter to the church. God is slow, but not as some understand slowness. Without God's wisdom, we either rush or quick say an apology and move on, or we exclude. We move on and don't wait enough time to really be reconciled with others. We may accidentally or even sometimes intentionally exclude some person or group as we seek truth and reconciliation. We might exclude indigenous people, but some of us are indigenous people. We might exclude people from some ethnic or cultural group that is different from our own. But as a community, as a, community, as a church, we are a group of many different ethnic groups and many different cultures. We might exclude people with different theological views, people from different church or denominational backgrounds. But we are people with many different theological views and many different church and denominational backgrounds. We might exclude sexual minorities, but we are, some of us, LGBTQ people. We might exclude people with certain political views that are different, but we are people with different political views. Whoever them is, when you imagine them, for whatever reason, you might look at them and say, well, reconciliation is just not possible. They're too broken. They're too different. They're too stubborn. They're going in a different direction. We let 
uh, these big gaps, we, we let these big gaps in reconciliation remain because we think it's just not possible. And please don't think that I mean we need to all be part of the same institution or the same denomination. We need to be careful about that too because often institutions are just one way of trying to pressure others to become like us. God made us to be more than that. Pressuring others to say, you need to be like me, is not reconciliation. Asking or telling someone to, be, to do what I want them to do is not the beginning to recon, of reconciliation. Setting the bar and saying, this is what the, the marker is, this is what the level is, now you need to jump, that's not reconciliation. Following Christ's example is reconciliation. As I said at the beginning of the service, or the beginning of the sermon, we are limited. Each of us can see Christ's example in some limited or imperfect way. But together we can better see his perfect way. Together we can pursue others with patient love, with humility, with empathy. We do not need to give up what we believe. We do not need to force others to become like us, nor be afraid that we might accidentally become like other people. If we have wisdom from God, then we will not only become, or we will, excuse, let me say that over. If we have wisdom from God, we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to force others. We can be confident that we will become more and more like God as we follow his leading and invite others to join us. None of us is God. None of us is perfect. But each of us and all of us pursue God in our limited ways with diverse people who have different limits. And together we can follow him and pursue him better. This is God's path for reconciliation. Reconciliation between one person and another, between one group and another, and reconciliation between humanity and God. If we want to see what seeking reconciliation looks like, God shows us a perfect picture. There are many of these in the, in the New Testament and in the Old I'm picking just one from Ephesians chapter 2. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And what a big grace it is. And God raised us up with Christ. And seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In this little passage, you might, doesn't, the word reconciliation doesn't show up. But two of the greatest distances that we imagine show up. The distance between the life of God and our death in sin. The distance between God's perfect heaven and our broken world. There are no greater distances. But Christ 
did not pressure humanity to become more like him. Christ didn't just ask or tell others what they needed to do and then leave them alone to do it or criticize them when they couldn't. Christ didn't just set the bar and tell other people to jump. Christ saw the gap and he jumped. Christ saw the gap between his perfect life and humanity, as Paul says, dead in transgression and sin. And Christ entered into our death to bring us back to life. Christ saw the the gap between his good and perfect heaven in perfect relationship with the Father and the Spirit and our broken and unreconciled world. And Christ jumped the gap to bring us into right relationship with God and with one another. Christ was at the center, in the strongest position, and he gave his whole life, his whole self, so that we could join him in the center, so that we could partner with him in his kingdom now and always. Christ waited. God in Christ waited, and he watched Not passively, he worked with humanity. And he still waits, and he still watches, though not passively, he still works with his people. Reconciliation is not the work of one person or one group. It can't be forced, it can't be rushed, and it doesn't happen by accident. We can't put ourselves at the center or decide things on our own way or at our own time. This is why we need wisdom. Why Christians allow God in his wisdom to lead us. Reconciliation requires real partnership between God and his people, between the spirit really living and acting in in his world and, and also living and acting in our hearts and in others. Reconciliation happens between diverse people as real equals And it requires so much wisdom. Thanks be to God that he left his position of strength to be reconciled to us. And that he gave us his model to follow. And his strength and spirit to sustain us in our weakness. Let's come to him in prayer. God, in the eyes of this world... Some of us are strong and unimaginably strong. And in the eyes of this world, some of us are weak and unimaginably weaker. As we reckon with and face and do in the wisest way our best to reconcile those differences, God, we look to you. We look to your perfect strength. And we say thank you that you have come and met us in our weaknesses, different and varied as they are, and ask that you'd continue to give us wisdom, give us humility, and give us your Spirit's guidance and direction that we might be reconciled to one another, that we might be reconciled to your world, and that we might be more and more reconciled to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, not because we are worthy of it. Amen.